Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, Mike, it's been a minute for us, but it's been a week for the NHL. We haven't spoken, I think, in over a week, but over that time, it seems like a lot of stuff has happened. So we're going to try and get through as much as we can, but we are working on time constraints here. here. So who knows if we can touch on everything that we need to touch on after what was a crazy week in the NHL in terms of storylines. The hockey, maybe not all that exciting, but certainly a lot to dig into. We'll limit the pleasantries, but I got to ask how you're doing. You got a sweater on ready? Are you already transitioning to fall? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a big fall guy. I love sweaters make me feel safe. Um, they make me feel comfortable. Not a big pumpkin spice latte guy. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. But you know, I, I, I'm, I'm big in the sweaters. So I'm trying to manifest the fall, you know, the nice fall vibes in, in my uh, condo area that I'm in right now. And it's, it's really nice. So I'm in, a, I'm in a nice, nice fall colors too, trying to, to get that cool you know, it, it's weird, right? Because we're talking about the playoffs and it's September at this point. So it's, it's very weird. So I'm trying to get some sort of normalcy back in here. And uh, yeah, so that's where I'm at when it comes to fashion. You can find Mike Stevens at your local pumpkin patch. Um, <laughs> before, before we get, uh, you know, too much into Let me pick pumpkins life, let's... Please don't approach me in public. Let me pick pumpkins in peace. It's my, oh, you, it's my I thought that was a social space. event for you, though. I thought that no, it's, would be my, like... it's my happy space, Justin. I, I, I don't want people coming up asking for pictures and autographs, and I'm just trying to pick pumpkins. It's, that, that's my time, okay? So pers- personal time as opposed to a social endeavor for you. Yes, yeah. Okay, so as we mentioned before, we got a lot to talk about, mm-hmm. but we have to lead the show with the biggest storyline, certainly of the NHL bubble so far, which was the players, I guess you could say, boycott, strike, or just a decision not to play over a 48-hour uh, stretch uh, to focus its attention on social justice. We were supposed to do a show last weekend during this, mm-hmm. but we decided to do the same and, and, and take a couple of days to uh, allow for that reflection and do it ourselves. Not that we are in the same boat as these NHL players, but uh, it's important that, that that was what the time was for. It was not for, you know, just so we can break and not give entertainment to people that are not looking at things the way they should in terms of social justice and, and racism and everything else that plagues our society. It, it, it was a time for reflection. It wasn't a moment for reflection that lasted three seconds like the NHL wanted to do, but it was 48 hours where you would take that time uh, to, to learn, to read, and to better yourself. And the NHL players, uh, I tend to give them credit for uh, what they did, and I take away from what the NHL did, uh, which was basically nothing and just waiting on the NHL players to do something. So uh, let's sort of go back to the beginning. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it was Wednesday or Thursday. I think, I think it was a Wednesday when the Milwaukee Bucks just decided not to come out the, of the tunnel. 
Uh, we saw a domino effect in the NBA. We saw the league's players just decide not to play those games and, and push it off until the weekend. And then the next day we saw the NHL make its developments where it it finished the games on Wednesday or Thursday night, whenever it was, and then just and then decided as a you know player membership not to move forward with the next game. So tell me what you were thinking that the day of and, and how your thoughts have sort of evolved uh, based on how the NHL how the NHL players responded to uh, the situation. I think we have to take context into consideration here in, in two regards. I think, number one, um, the NHL, as they usually are, were a day late to the party. Um, and, I, and I was listening to uh, the 31 Thoughts podcast this morning, and Elliot Freeman brought up a good point that while this was going on, uh, while the Bucks were, uh, while the Milwaukee Bucks started this movement, um, the Flyers and the Islanders were still were like in the middle of playing and, you know, were asked about it right after they got off the ice and they had, had no idea. And also a lot of these players, even, even the, the players um, that were going to play in, in the games later that day, they, they were in the middle of preparation mode probably. So they weren't on their phones they, at that time. They probably didn't know what was going on. At the same time, though, um, the NHL, like I said, it was a day late to the party again. And it's disappointing because players in sports all over the place, like all of the other NBA teams and a good amount of, of MLB teams as well, decided, you know, right now there are things that are more important than sports. There's a great quote. I can't remember who said it. I think it was Trevor Rosenthal or, or uh, it was an, an, um, an MLB player who said sports are the sports are, I guess, like the reward for a functioning society. And at this point, we don't have one. Like, or, or, we still don't. But at that point, specifically, we definitely did not have a functioning society. Like, it, the, you know, the, Jacob Blake got shot seven times in the back for no reason. And so it, it, there, someone should have stepped in. And, and um, Friedman made a good point in 31 Thoughts as well, that someone should have stepped in. There should have been a leader. There should have been someone. Maybe it was in the NHL front office. Maybe it was someone from, from a team you know, management capacity because they're probably more dialed in than the players are to the issues. Someone should have stepped in and said, hey, guys, this is going on in the world right now. It's not right for us to play tonight. And the moment of, of reflection, I guess it was, was probably one of the worst PR moments in NHL history, I'd say. Because A, um, it was what, like three seconds or something? It was, it was nothing. It was, it was, it would have been, it would be better for them to not have done it than to have, like, I see where they were coming from, where they were like, this is like, we, you know, we don't want to cancel the game tonight, but we'll, we'll dedicate a good chunk of time before the game to at least acknowledging that this is happening. But they didn't even dedicate a good chunk of time. There was, there was nothing. Like we've, we've seen, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, for example, hold moments of silence for, a list of things, you know, pregame ceremonies for a list of things that, that lasted infinitely longer than that moment of silence for a potential, for a, a senseless attempted murder for, and to put up the, the words end racism. It just, it just all seems so tone deaf. And they forgot to do that um, in, in the uh, 1030 game that night or the 930 game that night between Dallas and yeah. Colorado. So it just, it, it was just such a, a, a botching of the situation now at the same, uh, in, in the moment. And the NHL isn't great at acting in the moment. But the next day, it was really hard. It was really, really, I, I don't want to say heartwarming because I don't think anything about this situation is heartwarming. But it was really inspiring to see the players and the players themselves, not the NHL, and we need to make sure this was a player's decision, come together, spearheaded by uh, reportedly the Canucks and also by um, Ryan Reeves, Nazem Kadri. And it's a shame that they have to be the, the leaders in this um, because like, they shouldn't be. But at the same time, it's, it's a shame that they have to be, they're kind of thrust into this and they've done such a good job with it. The Kadri and Ryan Reeves and the Canucks players stepped up 
and and Reeves reportedly woke up to a phone call from or a multiple texts from Kevin Shattenkirk and, and hopped on a call with him and explained all this stuff in the Eastern bubble. It, that press conference in the Western bubble was incredible. Like that, that image will be in history books moving forward. And there was a great, it was a great sign of unity. Um, and finally, there was, there was action taken here. Finally, there was, it wasn't just wearing shirts. It wasn't just putting end racism or stop racism. We skate for black lives, which doesn't mean anything. Yes, it's, it's great to get that message out there, but at a certain point, nothing was changing and actions needed to be taken. And so I think that although it was a day late, although it, it should have been handled in the moment, it should have been spearheaded by some sort of leadership figure who came out and, and spearheaded this, they still, they still handled it in a way that I think brought that message forward. And that's, that's all you can really ask for at this point. Um, and I think it, it did a lot of good, but it is a shame that it wasn't handled in a more timely and appropriate manner in the moment. As this was first developing, I had this real uneasiness about all the criticism I was seeing of the players. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, as hours are going by, yes, Philly and the Islanders were on the ice already. You know, that was already set in stone. Nothing was going to change mm -hmm. there. But the immediate criticism of the players that were about to start the next game who were, you know, likely having their pregame naps while this was all going on, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I was... I was a little bit stuck. I didn't know how I wanted to react. I didn't want to know, want to, I didn't even want to write anything because I wanted to watch this unfold. I ended up did writing something and it's almost something that I regret a little bit because I think my criticism of the players was a little bit misplaced and a little bit too reactionary because let's, let's be reminded here that the Orlando magic were on the court, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were on the court. So to pretend that everybody should be, or to assume that everybody should be in the minds of the Milwaukee Bucks who made this decision on their own is foolhardy. It's just not the way life works. Yes, this was a domino effect. And yes, the proper reaction would be to jump on board and follow suit. But to think that it's gonna happen immediately, I think that's a little bit unfair to the players. And that's why I regret some of the things that I did write in that piece uh, that night, which basically said that, because the NHL is not going to do anything, it is, it, it, they have, no, because the players are, are in this tough spot and looking for leadership and looking for guidance and how to deal with these issues, it is on the league to step up and do something about it. And they didn't do anything, but mm -hmm. that cheap moment of silence or moment of reflection that they brought forth, which was just simply not good enough. And their reaction even after that was not good enough, but they were bailed out by the players who took it upon themselves to do the right thing in this instance. And you mentioned that it was, you know, it's on Reeves and Kadri to do something, but the most powerful statement through it all was Ryan Reeves saying it was a bunch of white players mm -hmm. that came together and, and reached out to me. And that was the most powerful thing about it. And I agree with him. I mean, but, but just, just to, just to assume that this can happen just at the snap of the fingers, I think is a little bit unfair to the players who in the end did something that, exceeded I think most people's expectations to for Vancouver to wait out in front of Vegas's locker room you know on an off day after you know the ser this emotional series that they've been going through and to put everything aside especially with the lead protagonist which is Ryan Reeves mm -hmm. it is something that I didn't expect that we would see but it shows growth and actual compassion and sentiment on the part of the players who stepped up and did the right thing and bailed out a league that is still not doing anything at all. And the fact that Nazem Kadri wrote player's decision, two mm -hmm. words in a quote tweet, he's basically saying that the league is not stepping up 
and doing what it should do to support the players, to support black lives, to support humanity. So all my criticism goes to the NHL, to the league itself. And my, I am nothing, I'm coming away nothing but impressed by what the players did because it exceeded my expectations. And they legitimately provided a, a moment that, like you said, was beyond words, was beyond t-shirts, was beyond messaging. It was something real. It was something powerful. And I give all the credit to the world, to the players to stepping up. And I, and I, and I still question the league's intentions after waiting for the players to have to do something like that to bail themselves out. Uh, so I, I, am, I came away proud of the NHL player mm -hmm. membership after this and more skeptical of what the league is doing uh, as a whole to, to stand by its statements and its messaging itself that hockey is for everyone because they haven't shown it, but the players in this instant have shown it. Absolutely. That was really well put. And uh, I, I completely agree. I think that I think there, there is certain, uh, yes, the players were taking their, you know, afternoon naps, but there are other, there are players that weren't playing that day and who, and you're in a bubble. So all you have to do is look at your phone and they, I guess it, it took them, it took them a day to kind of pull this together, which is kind of interesting to me because MLB teams were able to come together and make these joint decisions all of like they're not in a bubble. They're they're all not all of them though. Not all of them. Not all of them. There, but, but there it, was a couple teams. Milwaukee was yes. obviously one of them, and they were able to to make that decision. And I I do think it is easier to make those decisions on what are not not meaningless regular season games, no, but, but largely meaningless games. They, yes. They're not in a bubble in the, in a you know Stanley Cup series away from their family. Mm -hmm. uh, there's legitimate hatred growing for the opposite the opposite side. Uh, you don't know when you're going to see your family next. You don't know. Uh, what the next day is going to bring. So I think that just was that extra layer that they had to go through. And the fact of the matter is the MLB didn't do enough. The leagues no, didn't do enough. A few players that belong to the team or that belong to the city where Jacob Blake was shot stepped up. And I commend them for that, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to give the, I don't think the MLB players did anything more than the NHL players in this instance at all. Yeah. I, at a certain point we have to stop this, this just kind of, like harkens back to when Zion Williamson decided to pay, you know, concession workers in um, that were working at, at in in the arena. Uh, I, I think it's the Smoothie King Arena. I'm not Smoothie sure. King. Oh, yeah. Smoothie King. Oh yeah. Okay. But when Zion Williamson was the one who's who was 19 or 20 at the time, had to step up and pay the salary of concession workers at Smoothie King Arena during the the pandemic to help them get by. When they're when they're the owner, Gail Benson, who's worth over three billion dollars, didn't do that. Like at a certain point, when is it on? the when is it on the owners when it is it when is it on the league when is it on the institution with a gargantuan amount of money behind it and influence behind it and power behind it when are they going to be the ones who are the trailblazers opposed to the players who are yes like they're they're very well paid and and absolutely like you know we're, we're talking about a different tax bracket here but they're the ones across all sports and especially and we've seen it in the nba and, and hockey as well who have to step up and create these and create these movements and and sort of go to the, the league and be like, we're not going to play tonight. Like it, the NHL could not have botched it. The NHL itself, like the, 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 the company of the NHL, I want to say, not the mm -hmm. players, could not mm -hmm. have botched this situation harder in the moment. And I hate to, to, to draw on the negative so much because this ended up being a very inspiring um, solution that would, or not solution, but outcome that was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like that was 
put forth by the players. And it's not an outcome. It is a step towards an outcome that has many, many steps to go. But to even, to even suggest a moment of recognition when all this was going on is just mind boggling to me. Like that was, it was, that, that wasn't just embarrassing. It was almost insulting. It's, it's, I don't, I don't understand the thought process behind it. I don't know. I don't understand how the NHL employs PR professionals, people who are, who this is their career. And they, they put that out there. Like it, it was just, that was the NHL kind of in a nutshell. It was, it was baseless. It had no action behind it. And it was even half-hearted at best in its actual execution. Because at a certain point, like I said, t-shirts, like PR statements, you know, uh, hashtags along the, the screens in, in the arena, at a certain point, they don't do anything. Like they're, they're, it's easy to put those up. It's easy to, to, it's easy to tweet out something or, or put out words or speak anything. But, when you, but where the actual effort comes in and where change comes in is when actions and, and effort are put behind it, are put behind those words. And the players had to, take that, had to take that sort of responsibility. They had to take that initiative and they did it themselves. And I commend them absolutely. And what Reeves said about it was a bunch of white players stepping up. That is the most inspiring and most fundamental piece of change in all of this is that it wasn't just the, um, the players that were not of, of, I guess, Caucasian ethnicity um, having, having to, to take a, like, the main leadership role in this and being kind of thrust into it because it, it applies most directly to them. It was white players who are white people, but white players who are, are born in privilege, who have experienced privilege forever, using that privilege and influence to create change and, and help it, which is exactly how it should be. And that, that was really inspiring. But if anything, the NHL, people, people are, are missing the, the delineation between what the players did. And I'm glad that Nazem Kadri put players' decision in that tweet mm-hmm. because people were saying, and, and headlines were saying, the NHL you know, postpones games or the NHL puts together a great press conference. The NHL didn't put that together. The players put that together. The NHL was okay with you know, a three-second moment of silence to remember someone who got senselessly shot seven times in front of his children. And they thought, okay, that's good enough. And the players decided, no, that's not good enough. We have a platform here and we're going to use it. And that's great. But if anything, I've come off I've come off a lot worse and a lot more skeptical of how serious the NHL is at taking this and how serious the NHL is at actually using the influence and, and the spotlight that they have right now to create actual meaningful change. And it's disappointing. It's inspiring on the player's side, but it's disappointing from the league side in a, a long line of, league, of league-centric disappointments. Well, I think the best thing and the most encouraging thing from all of this is that it is clear that this is now a player issue. It is it is a issue that the players are going to confront and tackle themselves. And if they make it a priority and they align themselves as close as they can with the Hockey Diversity Alliance, and we've seen uh, steps towards that being taken, then the league is going to have no choice but to listen. They can ignore you know, or, or and they can sort of, I don't want to say ignore. I don't think that's, that's quite fair. But they can sort of, you know, push back a little bit against the Hockey Diversity Alliance on some of their ass and not align themselves completely with them, not, you know, roll, up, roll them up under the same banner and sort of keep them at an arm's length. But if Bo Horvat and Tyler Sagan and uh, Nazem Kadri and the entire group of players behind them make it known that this is what has to happen and the Hockey Diversity Alliance has to be listened to, then that integration is going to happen because you have nothing as a league Mm -hmm. without the players. So I think that's the most encouraging thing that's happening right now is the fact that the leagues have decided that this is 
that or the players have decided that this is an issue. And for that reason alone, the players do have to listen. Yeah. And it was at this point, the players had more leverage than I think they've ever had in, in, in more power and influence over decisions they, that they had ever had in CBA negotiations and whatever. And they used it and they used it for at pretty much the best, the best cause that you could. And that, that was really, really inspiring to see pleasantly surprising when, you know, when they all line, it took them five minutes pretty much to line in all of them in that, in that, you know, zoom press conference. And it was just, that was a sense of unity. It was players of all different ethnicities, all different backgrounds standing together and saying, you know, enough is enough. We are going to use, we have, we recognize that we have this power of influence. Now we have this leverage in, in you know, the, the machinations of the league and we're going to use that and we're going to use it to get this message out and use our platform, however big it is for good. And the NHL decided not to do that. They decided to do, to make another performative gesture, just as they have it with many other, you know, social issues. And it was disappointing, but the players, completely opposite. It was, I, I was pleasantly surprised. There were some quotes from maybe coaches uh, the next day that were a little, that were a little, um, I would say disappointing as well. Elaine Vigneault comes to mind. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it, this was, this, this was a, a positive outcome from the player's perspective. And it, it nudged this ball that had been pretty stagnant in the NHL's court for a long time and nudged it forward, which is as, as good as you could hope. Ryan Reeves was the star of that press Absolutely. conference and has sort of been the, uh, the voice throughout all of this, even though, and, and, and it's important that he is because he has a very nuanced look at all this. He comes from a family that has police officers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a variety of police officers in his family. So he sees that side of it. And he's also a black man who sees both that side mm -hmm. of it as well. So his, his viewpoint is very important here. And I think his story and how all of this unfolded kind of gives you insight into why this wasn't an immediate decision on the part of the players because he told a story about how he went to dinner tonight and that and there was a question sort of uh, maybe not even taken that seriously but like are we gonna play tomorrow was a question mm -hmm. that happened at dinner and Ryan Reeves said sure why wouldn't we play like this is like not not thinking that this was actually an option for them and he went to bed tonight that night not being able to uh uh, deal with the fact that that was his answer and that's that the NHL wasn't going to do anything. And he, he reached out to a few of his teammates and there was conversations that started. And then he woke up and there was, there was conversation or text messages from the other bubble players on the other team that he's playing right now and antagonizing to the nth degree, wanting to talk to him and see what his opinion on all this was. So the fact that's just an example of how it's not immediate. It's not going to be snap of the fingers. Everyone's going to be on board doing the right thing immediately. The, the what the Bucks did was create conversation. That's what it was all about. And what it did was created a real conversation that turned into meaningful action on the part of the NHL players. That's the entire point of all of this, to create discussions and create awareness to the issues. And the fact that they got to the, got to the right, correct response in the end, it, you, you, it's better that the conversations happened. Mm -hmm. It's better that it wasn't immediate. It's better that these players found a way to organically come to the right decisions. So to, to slam the players and say, oh, they didn't put their foot down right away, that's wrong because then you're missing the point of it. The point of it is the discussions, the NHL players had them and got to the correct response. And that's why they should be, I don't want to say lauded, that's probably too strong of a word, but they should be commended for doing what the NHL did not do. They should, the thing, yes, I'm glad that, you, that last part that you brought up where they shouldn't be lauded, but they should be, I guess, sort of committed. This is what they should have done. Like, this is not going above and beyond. 
this is a sense of this is a sense of of unity that should be there in these circumstances you should be doing this you should it, you know you shouldn't get bonus points for you know for deciding to postpone these games or deciding to start against these games amidst this because that's what should be done and i'm glad that they did that but it 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 shouldn't be you know it, you shouldn't get yeah you shouldn't get extra credit for this this is you you uh, you did what should have been done in the moment and that is essentially it like it it's hard to put it in this in this in this way but yeah the the nhl the, the players acted as they should have the league didn't and so i think there should be appropriate praise put on the players for doing what should have been done and that's about it and the league did not do what they should have done and that and they should be criticized justifiably for that so the conversations that's a domino effect the Mil <laughs> milwaukee bucks forced broadcasters on live tv to have conversations that were powerful in the moment those conversations those conversations continued with the rest of the N NBA player population. Those conversations spilled into what happened with the NHL and the players did what they did. And now what should happen is that the NHL office should be having more conversations mm -hmm. in reaction and to continue that domino effect, because that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to see change and that change happens through conversations and, and insight and people getting educated on the real issues. And that's all you can really ask for from the from these players and leagues is to continue to spark conversation and get people aware of the real issues so uh there is no wait for another tragedy for the nhl to actually take action like it's all in, in it's all in response to these things i think like yes there, there's the hockey diversity alliance that they should be you know doubling and tripling down on in, in their support like it's at a certain point we shouldn't have this this is all reactionary like we shouldn't the N yes the nhl is going to have these conversations but I was, and I was about to say, you know, in my mind, in your response to that, okay, mm -hmm. and then, and then, like the next time there's a chance for them to prove it, we uh, prove that they've actually, you know, realized this, then we, sh then, then I can't wait to see it. But then I thought, why, are, why are we going to have to wait for another senseless tragedy, another absolutely horrific, you know, uh, example of racial violence, um, of, of discrimination, of potentially a murder, for us to, to see if the NHL can respond properly this time. There should be some proactive measures taken here. There should be something other than a hashtag we skate for black lives. It should, there should be, you know, financial commitment or a, a fund or, you know, some actual mo like the, the Milwaukee Bucks got a, a, they got a tabled uh, police regulate uh, regulatory bill put into Congress or put in, put, I guess on the Senate floor, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Put the, put the vote or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So the NA, if, if the NHL is, is serious and in, in that they learned how to deal with this, they're serious in their support. We shouldn't have to wait for another Jacob Floyd or another, or, or, sorry, um, another George Floyd or another Jacob Blake to, to have to see if they've learned. There should be a proactive stance. There should be something that they, they use their power for that makes a difference. Because at, at a certain point, like why reacting is, is one thing, but it's in reaction to a tragedy. And the whole point of this is that we don't want these tragedies to happen anymore. And we'll do everything we can to make sure they don't. So I would love to see the NHL, a league with billions of dollars behind it, with influence behind it, who just saw all of their players come together in unison and say, we, we are serious about this. I'd love to see them do something in a, in a proactive manner to actually further change and further these conversations that doesn't have to come on the heels of another senseless, horrible tragedy that could have, that, that shouldn't have happened in the first place. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with you, but the, the NHL isn't gonna stop police brutality. So yes. all, they can, all they can do is handle what they can control. And what they can control right now, what's immediately in front of them is the Hockey Diversity Alliance. Align themselves 
mm-hmm. the League Alliance with the Hockey Diversity Alliance, they are working towards finding the solutions that they can provide to a situation that is far bigger than them, far bigger than the NBA, far bigger than sports, far bigger than, you know, government. It is something that is, it is, it is so prevalent and it's, and it runs so deep through society that it's going to take everything, everyone being in tune to what's going on to make changes. So the NHL just has to do its part. And I think with the Hockey Diversity Alliance uh, stepping up and doing what they did uh, to organize what would be efforts uh, from hockey to do good things and to be part of positive change, it, it's, it's simple. Get on board. The mm-hmm. NHL and the Hockey Diversity Alliance should be working in tandem as one, doing yeah. what hockey, doing all that hockey can do to inspire change. And that's not all that much, but at least it's something and they're doing. And if they did align with the Hockey Diversity Alliance, then they are doing their part. Okay. Uh, there's no easy way to, you know, no. to transition into actual hockey games. The NHL tried and they did it the best way they could. So we will have a clumsy segue of our own and get into the games that have now restarted and the series that have now restarted. And what is the second round that is not just flying by, but has become a little bit, I'll say non-competitive. I mean, we, have, we had four series that were 3-1, right? Now we have mm-hmm. one that's 3-2 with Colorado bouncing back. Uh, but one of them is over, and the Boston Bruins are out, losing in five games to the Tampa Bay Lightning. We could talk at length about how Tampa Bay has sort of righted their own ship mm-hmm. and made the decisions necessary in order, in order to be successful uh, come playoff time after, you know, historically dominant regular seasons. But I think the focus should be, for now, on the Bruins. Uh, yes. And we'll save Tampa, who's going to fly to Edmonton, maybe after playing a few games first. We'll see what happens there. Um, but Tampa Bay is on its way to the Eastern Conference Final after a five-game series lead, and things are setting up pretty nicely for them. But again, we'll talk about Boston, who may be, might be going through some change. I mean, there was a lot of emotion from the players after their loss, guys that have sort of realized that, you know, it's, it's it, it's, that's it for this iteration of the team, but the remaining years around this core are, are running out as well. I, we don't know what's going to happen with Zidane Ochara. Uh, and we don't know what's going to happen with some other veterans on the rosters. Tory Krug is probably going to leave in, in, in unrestricted free agency if they can't find a way to sign him. So it is the last hurrah for this core. It's not necessarily the end of the Bruins, but it's certainly a potential turning point for the franchise that, despite all of its success in recent seasons, uh, just has not won the ultimate prize. No, you're right. And, and when you look at the, the ages of what we would consider the you know, you know, Boston's core, the Bruins' core, I mean, David Krejci's 34, Patrice Bergeron's 35, Brad Marchand is 32. Um, you know, Tory Krug, like you said, is probably going to leave him free agency. Zidane Ochara, who, you know, might not be back next year at all, he's 43. Like, four, that's insane. And like, there, a lot of these, these substantial players, and, they've been, and the Bruins have been able to, to pad kind of their ranks with some good young, like, I would say good youngish talent, like on – Andre Cash is 24, and, and he's very good. Obviously, David Pasternak's 24, and he's, you know, their star. Um, and Jake DeBrus, 23, and he's a pending RFA. But there, this could be this sort of uh, Tuka Rask is 33, and Yaroslav Lack is 35, and they're both under contract for next year. But still, like, those are – everyone's kind of getting up in age. At a, like, at a certain point, like, is this it for – not it for the Bruins, but is this sort of the, the, the tip of the – the mountain for them because they did this was supposed to be a very and it was a relatively tight series this was supposed to be a you know a, a ghost we, we both had this happening in seven games I had the, I had the Bruins winning in seven games which mm-hmm. I, I look really stupid for that now 
And this was supposed to be a, you know, a, a gladiator fight between these two teams that sort of were the antithesis of each other, who was, that was supposed to be modern playoff hockey, tight, you know, the, the two teams at the peak of their powers. And the Bruins, they kind of went out with a whimper. Yes, it was a 2 OT um, game last night where they eventually got eliminated, but I was expecting more. I was expecting more from, from, from this team with the, with the players that they have, with the, with the moves that they made to, to kind of bulk up and, and get this, this squad looking playoff ready. I mean, this, this team relatively unchanged, if anything, they added a lot of players to it, went to the Stanley Cup final last year and they just lost in five games. It's, it's disappointing. And yes, like Tory Krug is probably going to leave the, the, you know, the Bruins have $669,543 in cap space as we speak. And that's only with, you know, Zidane Chara's uh, two, I think it's 2.7 or $2 million and Joachim Nordstrom's uh, 1 million coming off the books. And that's really the only significant money that's actually, that's actually coming off the books this year. And they also have to find a way to get Jacob DeBrusque a new, or Jake DeBrusque a new contract as well. So they, they basically, basically what I'm trying to say is they can't afford Tory Crew. He's a big part of their team and he's basically gone. And so I think we're going to start to see, unless they do a, a you know, a, a Houdini-esque, you know, retool where they do it on the fly, we're going to start to see a lot of these pieces kind of go by the wayside like Chicago did where a lot of these supporting pieces that are making the three millions or, you know, the 2.6s start to, start to leave. And this was a team that should have, that should have captured the ultimate prize in the way they're constructed. If you look at their, their salary cap chart, the highest paid player on their team is David Krejci. He's making 7.25 million. You know, they, they've been able, they, for all that the Leafs are criticized for, for overpaying for their stars, the Bruins were able to lock down their stars at incredibly team value uh, contracts. And they were never able to get over that hump. They challenged for it. Absolutely but they were never able to get over that hump with this current core. And I think right now Boston is staring down a, um, they're staring down a, you know, a fork in the road where do you try to run it back? You try and, and drag this old, you know, this old core together basically for one last hurrah, or was this the one last hurrah? And you realize that it can't work in the way that it's constructed. You realize there's a downward trend and I don't want to say rebuild, but you start to kind of recognize the reality and start to not sort of, because a lot of teams at, when they get to this point, um, they don't want to. They don't want to recognize their own morality, and they get stuck in hockey purgatory for so long, and that can cripple a franchise. If you end up being, you know, the the 18th best team in the league for so long, that that essentially can leave you in no man's land for you know a decade. That's what the, happened to the Leafs. So there there are going to be some really really interesting decisions that are going to be made this offseason for Boston. We're talking. There are a lot of really interesting decisions being made for teams all around the league. But when it comes to like a Titan who might have to essentially either reassemble itself on the fly or start a teardown process, Boston is in that in that position. And I, I honestly don't know which way they're going to go with it. Even with Tory Krug potentially leaving, even with Jake DeBrus maybe being on the market, I've heard that he could po possibly be a guy that Boston would. Uh, you know, maybe choose not to pay in order to keep mm -hmm. everything else together, even with Chara potentially leaving. I do expect Boston to be a competitive team that doesn't blow it up uh, in the near future. I mean, you've yeah. got remaining seasons of Patrice Bergeron. Uh, you've got Brad Marchand and David Pasternak on really good deals. You can't just blow this up. No. But it is hard to stay atop the mountain. It, it simply is. It is hard to get to the, to the Stanley Cup final and lose in seven games. It's very difficult. It's hard to come back the next season and win the President's Trophy. And it's hard to follow that season up with another really competitive season. It is just really hard to be a competitive team year over year in the NHL. We've seen Tampa Bay Lightning are going to the conference final fourth time in the last six years, but sprinkled in between there have been some really disastrous moments. It is just hard to be a dominant team for that long. 
And I think Boston, despite everything that they've done to keep that core together and keep that core paid as little as possible, uh, they're going to undergo some change and it's probably going to hurt them in certain ways. Uh, but I mean, we talk about what the, the Leafs could potentially do to change the composition of their team or to keep certain guys or to get rid of certain guys or bring certain personnel in. I mean, if the Boston Bruins want to keep Tory Krug, they can find a way. Yeah, they want they to keep Zidane Chara, and Zidane Chara wants to come back. They can find a way, I believe. It just will take something away from their team. But again, I mean, you, you gotta be, you gotta, you're going to have to be creative if you're Don Sweeney uh, because this team is going to, you, you know, the, the NHL, just at, in its, it, just its process is to eat away at good teams. It eats away. It eats away. It eats away at good teams. And Boston's going to have to figure out a, a way to get it even better because – their core is not going to get any younger. And naturally, what the guys that are there can do now, it's going to fade over time a little bit. Mm-hmm. The guys, as much as Boston is going to have a tough time staying at top of their game, certain individuals on that team are going to have a tough time staying at top of their game. So they're going to have to make some changes. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. As far as the series go, that was strangely uncompelling, if uncompelling is a word. Anticlimactic. That was that was a boring series. Yeah. It wasn't even, it was supposed to be, you know, two Titans, Atlantic division, the best two teams, probably the two teams that should meet in the Eastern conference final. Uh, I would take either of them over the other two teams that are playing, even though the Islanders are just criminally yeah. underrated and, and we'll get to them probably oh, a little boring. bit later. Um, but I would take both these teams over those two teams. This, these were the best two teams in the Eastern conference this year. I don't think there was any, any way of getting around that. Uh, and it just did not add up. It did not reach the hype that it should have. It was, it was Tampa Bay largely controlling Boston and doing and sort of using all those failures, learning from them and really applying them because as much as, you know, as much as it seems like Tampa Bay has been a little bit mentally fragile at times, they've put all that to bed yes. going to multiple overtimes against Boston and not really giving up chances, learning to lean on Andre Vasilevsky, who is the only goaltender that is probably worth an eight figure salary. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've grown up and matured. It seems a lot. And they've proved to themselves that they can do this over the last month or so. Uh, so I think Tampa is just sort of on a, on a clear path here and being able to get over Boston in the manner that they did. I think it says more about them than it says about Boston. Yeah. I think Tampa, like Tampa, if we can go into some Tampa love for a second here, Tampa has essentially slayed their two biggest demons in the first two rounds here. They, mm-hmm. Columbus, although depleted as they were, Columbus essentially is, was their demon. They, they handed them the big, their biggest embarrassment as a franchise um, the year before by sweeping them in the first round. And they came back and they put that to bed. And then the next, they played the, the team that eliminated them last year. And they, are, um, they played the, not the team that eliminated them last year, but their biggest, I would say, in terms of quality in the Eastern Conference opponent. And they, and they kind of beat them handily. Like this was a very, this was like, this is supposed to be like Alien versus Predator. And it ended up being as disappointing as that movie where it was just essentially like it kind of landed with a thud. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big be a GM mode guy in, in video games. I love pretending to be a GM and putting teams together and doing that. I'm currently rebuilding the Detroit Tigers on MLB The Show right now because they're the biggest mess. And Tampa Bay, the way that their roster is constructed it's, it's like, it's, it's a be a GM roster. It's, it's, it's with superstars that you, that you saw, you either draft internally and they become, you know, really good underrated pieces, like drafting a, you know, a, a Sean, um, man, well, I'm Anthony Sorelli. Sorry. I was going to say Sean Corrali. That's not the right player. Um, Anthony Sorelli, who's like, you know, you get that guy in a later round and you put, you plug him in the lineup eventually and he gives you great value. And then, and then bargain bin guys who are relatively big names who sign for cheap, Zach Bogosian. 
that has been a game-changing acquisition for them on the on the right yeah. side. That he was he was they couldn't tr- Buffalo couldn't trade him. They was he was he was you know a, a blue line poison for a while, and they plucked him out, paid him. 1.3 million prorated, and now he's a staple on their back end. Luke Shen, rehabilitating players who are good at one thing. He's blocking shots in a, in a Stanley Cup um, playoff game, and he's going to go off onto the third round. Like this, though, I love the way that Tampa's roster is constructed. I'm in love with it. It is exactly the kind of roster that someone who, you know, without any, maybe not with like without trade limits or whatever are turned off, but with just someone who, who dedicates way too much time on a be a GM mode puts a team together and it's just perfect. I love it. And this was supposed to be, it's, it's essentially like the way that Tampa made it so boring for us is a, is a good thing, I guess, for them because they, the Bruins were probably the scariest opponent in the East left and they, they tamed them pretty quickly. But mm-hmm. in terms from an entertainment factor, this was supposed to be the most entertaining series. This is the one we were looking forward to the most when we did our predictions. This was the one that was supposed to be, when you show a new hockey fan what modern playoff hockey is, this was supposed to be the series that you show them. And it just ended up being kind of a dud. Like, they, like I could, yes, like it's over and it was over in five games, but I, all of the other 3-1 series, except for maybe the Islanders, I would show, I would show a new hockey fan over this. So it's, it's, it's weird. And with the Bruins as well, just to, to go back to them quickly, like, yes, this is a, when you talk about, like, we can talk about them staying on top of the mountain when it comes cap-wise, but age-wise too, like David Krejci, he's 34, and he's under contract for another two years at 7.25 million. And he has battled injuries almost consistently for the last couple of years. He's going to be 36 when that contract's over, and he has hard miles on his body. Patrice Bergeron has probably the most miles on any body in human history. He played through a punctured lung, and he's going to be 38 when that contract expires, and he's making $6.875 million with a flat cap for the foreseeable future. Is Patrice Bergeron at 38 with, you know, basically a, a robotic skeleton going to be as good as, as he's going to be worth $6.875? You know, there are these players, even a Brad Marchand, like, yes, he's great now, but he's 32. And when, when those two contracts are over, he'll be 34, 35. His contract extends until he's 39, I'm pretty sure, 38. Like the, the, there are a lot of really good contracts in the moment now, but you, you look forward into the future for a year. They, they're suddenly, if, if age, if father time kind of works in the way that we're used to seeing it work, man, those, that could be a problem coming up really soon. So I, I don't like, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know what they do this off season. I don't know which it, it really, I can see there's a, there's an easy path for them to re retool or whatever, because they have a lot of below market contracts. They could either, shuttle out and maximize that value now but i don't know man like it like i feel i don't see boston succumbing to this i don't see boston recognizing their own mortality i see them as you know it's a culture of winning i think they're going to do whatever they can to kind of keep this core together and yes doing whatever you can to keep this this core together be great but tory krug's 20 29 he's approaching 30 and he's going to be making a lot more money than he is before and sedano chara even at 44 if he if he makes equivalent to the two million that he made year before, is that worth sacrificing a Jake DeBrusque? Is that worth maybe even shuttling out, you know, a a Chris Wagner or a, a you know a an Andre Kasha or something like that? Is that worth doing that? I don't I don't know. It's there are a lot of really tough decisions to make in Boston. I'm not willing to write off the Bruins yet, but I think the emotion from Cassidy, Krejci, yeah. Marshawn, the guys we heard from after they lost is sort of telling in a certain regard. I think, I think they realize that this was a significantly, uh, a significant wasted opportunity for mm-hmm. them because the future is not all that certain uh, and the present should have been, you know, more than it was. Uh, just quickly on Tampa Bay, 11 forwards, seven defensemen. I love it. 
They've, yep. they've, they've switched to that full time to get the Shens and Cobergs in. I love that. Uh, and they don't have a single bad forward when they, no. when they are, when they are lined up that way, it is all money for them up front. Like they are, they are, uh, they are loaded. But what the difference seems to be for them is that the most exciting team in hockey previously, Tampa Bay Lightning has learned how to play like the Islanders a little bit. And that's mm-hmm. the difference, right? They're doing it do- both ways. You got to learn, you got to win in multiple ways in the, in the Stanley cup playoffs. They're, they're able to lock down teams in overtime when it matters most and hit on counterattacks and they can just open it up when they have the personnel. They don't have Kucherov, and they haven't had Stamkos at this point, so they might be a little bit uh, – they might have to change their, the way they play a little bit more. If, but they've been able to get through you, that. But they've been able to get through it. But Incredible. if they don't have Kucherov in the next series, then suddenly it's not as, it's, it's not as dangerous at the top mm-hmm. end, and maybe they're a little bit more vulnerable. But for now, they are clearly the best team in the Eastern Conference, uh, and we should probably move on to the West. If, if you want okay, to. Okay, so, so the team that hasn't quite learned how to be the Islanders, nope. maybe they showed it a little bit last night, is the Colorado Avalanche, who are clearly only going to win games by outscoring the opponent. I mean, that's mm-hmm. duh. That's exactly how you win hockey games. <laughs> but the Avalanche, the Avalanche are uh, unique in the fact that they are the one team that is left and the one team that is trying to win a cup by, you know, simply firepower. Let's, yeah. let's face it. I mean, their best defenseman is Kale McCarr, who is an offensive wizard, uh, and they have probably the best player remaining in the tournament, Nathan McKinnon, and a core group that can really hurt you. But the thing is, they've been outscored by the Dallas Stars pretty handily in the series. They are losing 3-2, uh, and they're only still alive because they burst out for five goals with Michael Hutchinson and that the other night. So where are you in the abs? Can the abs come back and win this series after falling behind 3-1? And despite having to throw out either Michael Hutchison or Pavel Frank, who's in net or. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Backture against the wall here. Uh, but I'm not willing to count them out. They were my pick to win the Stanley Cup when this tournament started. Uh, but they've been dealt a serious blow with Philip Grubauer out. So where are you on the avalanche, and, and where do you see this series headed? Look, it was not pretty. Um, it was not pretty leading up to last night. It was, it was a little rough. Uh, obviously, you know, it, the Sharks – or not the Sharks. The Stars came out, and they punched the abs right in – they soccer punched the abs right in game one, right off the hop. And I think that stunned them for yeah. a while because they, there was a – like we said, we wanted to see the abs with their backs against the wall. We wanted to see them challenge because they kind of just floated through the qualifier in the first round. And they, I don't think they were, they were ready for the way that the stars were going to play because this was a 27th ranked offensive team in the regular season. The stars were 
and they just suddenly decided in the second round, we know how to score goals now. And they did. Um, but if any team can pick themselves up off the mat, if any team can take a punch to the face and shake it off and, and make this an interesting series, it's the abs. And they showed it last night. There was a point where I think it was after the five, nothing goal where the abs almost had twice as many goals in the first period as the stars did shots. It was 18. It, it was, it was five goals to four shots at one point. Yeah. It was, yeah. I think on the fourth goal too, it was 18 to three. So it was, it was, yeah, it, it was yeah, they, they, sta- they stayed one goal ahead of the shot. Pretty much, yeah. Shots allowed, yeah. Which is insane. Like that, they, they came out and the, the, the final score of 6-3 is a little, you know, it, it, it hides the, um, the actual context of how much of a drubbing that was because, you know, score effects are going to kick in and eventually the team's going to claw their way back. But it was just like the abs were scoring at will. And they, they were up 5 nothing in the first period and they were kind of like, this is not, we, we are not going to go down without a fight here. And Honestly, any team that can win a playoff game, no matter who it is, with Michael Hutchinson and Ned, you got to give them credit for that. I think that was a big – Michael Hutchinson, when it comes to an intangibles perspective, he's like the nicest guy I've ever interviewed. He's, he's incredible. He's, you know, he, he's just an awe-shucks guy who wants to, to help the team win. And I honestly think – I know this is a little dumb, but I honestly think getting him a win after everything he's gone through this year, that's a big locker room moment for them. That's a big like, hey, you know, Hutchinson came in here. He was a throw-in, throw-away trade. You know, he was our third guy that we had to turn to in our moment of crisis, and he came out and he performed. All right, like, we're, we're in this to win this. Let's go. And, the, yes, the Stars, um, the Stars have been able to score very, you know, a, a lot in, obviously, the second round and the first round as well. Um, and they were, you know, they, they, they're having – they have two good goalies, one, both of which who didn't play very well um, last – or, I guess, last night. But they also, like, we have, we have a very long stretch of, of, of sample size here where they don't know how to score. And if the Avs essentially, if the Avs have figured them out now, then I think that they're able to, to push forward and make this at least interesting. I don't see this series ending in six games. I see it ending in seven, which, whichever way. And that, is, that would redeem what has been a largely underwhelming second round so far. Like, we've talked about it. We're going to get into the other series. Um, and they've been pretty kind of cut and dry. But this is the one where the drama is going to be had. This is the one where, you know, Nazem Kadri was losing his mind after scoring last night. You know, Nathan McKinnon was, was tearing it up. Uh, the, the activation from the back end was incredible for, um, for Colorado. They played like the avalanche last night, and they came out, and they made a defining statement in the first couple minutes of the game. Like, we are not going home. And I think, if, if, like I said, if there's any team that can, that can stretch this out or pull off the, the impossible, like the Stars have the ability – and the skill. And now I think the, the, the mental fortitude to do it. So right now it's right now it's in the stars court, not to mess this up. And I think when a team is in a position to not mess this up, they start to grip the stick a little bit. They start to, they start to overthink some things. You know, Ben Bishop looked completely defeated on the bench last night. Um, when he, mm-hmm. after he got pulled, there was a lot of eye rolling. There's a lot of, de- you know, defeatist body language. I'm not going to say that that's a big thing. I'm not going to be a body language expert here. I'm not, but it's, I, I think that there's something cooking with, with the abs and I can't wait to make my, to be, you know, proven to be an idiot the next time we record this after they go out with a whimper. I don't know, but this is going to be, no matter what, I think it'll end entertaining. Yeah. I wish I had the same confidence as you. I mean, as much as the avalanche brought, you know, the type of effort you need to bring with Michael Hutchinson starting an elimination playoff game, uh, like getting out to a lead that would be very, very difficult to in the end relinquish, even with a goaltender of Hutchinson's quality, I, I just feel like that's going to be something that's going to be hard to repeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I feel bad. I feel genuinely sad for the Colorado avalanche because it's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair that they have to put Michael Hutchinson in that 
potentially for three games in a row just to survive because they just deserve better. Yeah. But they clearly miss – I don't know I don't know why Fransos – I can't say his name. I think it's Fransos. 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 Yeah. I'll just – I'll call him Pavel from now on. I, I, I can't – I don't know if there's, like, an injury there or something that he was dealing with because he didn't play. Like, I don't know if that was a coach's decision to go with Hutchinson over Fransos, Pavel, whatever. I, I just – he's clearly not good enough. Mm. He was clearly – evaluated or just either evaluated poorly or just in over his head, like incapable of rising to the moment of a playoff game because he looked completely lost. He looked like a guy who just could not even fight back in a game where Dallas was just bringing so much offensive pressure. And this all stems, like it just didn't go the avalanche's way from the beginning of the series. You mentioned them getting punched in the face right off the, right off the hop, but then they also lost Eric Johnson and Philip yep. Grubauer, the biggest, like, Philip Grubauer is not, like, an amazing goaltender by any stretch of the imagination, but he's the guy who gives them a chance to win because the other guys, I had no confidence in them being able to give Colorado the chance to win. So they're going to have to be perfect again mm-hmm. in game six and then perfect again in game seven, no matter who's in net unless someone is coming back because uh, – uh, unless Grubauer is coming back because they just don't have the goaltending to win at this time of year. And Dallas, for all their offensive woes – earlier in the season and historically in seasons past, they have more firepower than that. They have a lot of guys who you look at and be like, he clearly scores 20 goals a year. Mm -hmm. He clearly can score 30. That guy could probably get to 40. Like they have, they have way more firepower than it seems they do just based on their baseline numbers in the regular season. So God, I really want to see the avalanche just get quality goaltending because I want to see the rest of the series play out into seven games because it's so good. It is the one series that is legitimately Mm -hmm. entertaining. I guess Vegas Vancouver is entertaining too, but you can kind of see the writing a, on the wall. Not from a competitive standpoint, a petty no, standpoint, you, I guess. Yeah, it's just – it's fun to watch those games, yeah. and it's probably not going to last much longer than game five. Uh, but Colorado and Dallas has the potential to be amazing, but one injury has taken a lot of the sting out of it for me. And I just hope that's, that Colorado can continue to do what it did in game five and game six because it, it's, it's, it's basically rescued – what was one of the most unfortunate developments of this entire playoffs, which is Colorado losing the ability to put a decent goaltender in that. Yeah. I mean, I look uh, counterpoint to that. I'm here 100% for the narrative bliss that will be in. If Michael Hutchinson. Drags oh, them oh, to of course. The Can you Definitely. imagine? It'd be amazing. We're already going to, we're already about to talk about, you know, Matt Martin and Leo Komarov scoring goals in a playoff game. I'm, we're talking about Michael Hutchinson grabbing a contending team in the middle of an injury plague playoff round and, and getting to the conference final. Like that would be, I, I don't think, I think we'd have to dedicate an entire podcast just to that, just, just to that, that one talking point, not even the series, but just to the Michael Hutchinson, the Hutchinson cast, the Hutch cast. He is, it, it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I, look, one of us has got to be the optimist here. And I think that, you know, usually it's you when it comes to Frederick Anderson, mainly, but um, I, I think I'm, I'm more of the optimist on the abs. I think that they have just the innate talent. Yes, they're missing some pieces, but I think they have the innate talent. And what I saw, even from just a, an attitude standpoint last night, I think that they're feeling it. They believe in themselves and there's no home ice, you know, advantage to sway them. They don't have to travel. It's just like you, you kind of get back to business. And I think that they can put it together, man. Like if they can, if I'm not saying if they, if they go out and score, obviously, you know, if they go out and score five goals in the first period again, they're probably going to win. But I'm saying like, if they can, if they can maintain some of that moving forward, man, like the sky's the limit for them. And I, and, and yes, their goaltending is, is subpar. And yes, you know, you relying on Michael, Michael Hutchinson in the playoffs and even in any game is not, is not the best 
option. But this is an incredibly talented team who knows who they are. And I think that they found – I think that they started feeling their back. I think, they got, I think they got their swagger back last night. So we'll have to, have to kind of wait and see. I think the most encouraging thing for people who want to see the Avalanche go far, and I'll, I will admit I'm cheering for them to go to, because yes. the dream, the dream Western Conference final is Colorado Vegas. I, I appreciate mm-hmm. Dallas for what they're doing, and I do have grown to to start enjoying watching them play. Uh, but Colorado Vegas is the dream, and I think the 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 biggest encouraging sign is that is it has been hard for teams with their backs against the wall to push back. Yes. You, know, you, you see, you, you see, you know, the flights next, the next day, you see the opportunity to see your family right there and you can't muster the, the energy or the might to fight back, especially when you're down three to one, mm-hmm. but Colorado doesn't view it this way. They believe that this is supposed to be their time. Mm-hmm. They're angry that they've gotten to this situation. They feel like they've been sort of, uh, dealt a bad hand, which they have with everything that's gone on. And I, and I think that they feel that they are better than the situation that they find themselves in. And I think that's why they're going to continue fighting while the rest of the teams like Philadelphia, who we're going to talk about right now and the Islanders, I don't have the same confidence that they're going to be able to fight back because I feel like they've already lost this series in their heads. When I think Colorado has reason to believe that the only reason they're down is because things have not gone their way and they have still, they still have time to turn around. So that's why I think Colorado is that one team that went down three, one, obviously they've won a game since they've fallen down three, one, unlike any other team. Uh, But I feel like that's why people should have the most confidence in them moving forward. Should we jump in the Islanders? Sure. I just real quick. I think that, yeah, I think Colorado has the, has the Jimmy Butler mentality of, you know, there are a lot of, like, for example, yesterday, Jimmy Butler was, was talking about, oh, are you going to bring your family in the bubble? And he goes, no, this is a business trip for me. I know I'm, I respect everyone else, put it, you know, bringing their families in here. And there's the heartwarming videos of, of people reconnecting with their kids. For me, it's like, nope, this is business for me. It's all ball. And I think that Colorado has that mentality because they're like, we, we're, like we're going to get into with the Flyers. So I think are already kind of on vacation at this point. Um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel mentality with a lot of these teams with their backs up against the wall where it's like, look, it's been such a weird year. I can, I can finally leave this freaking hotel. I can finally go home, have some home cooked food, see my family, pet my dog. Um, is it really worth, you know, is it really worth eking it out? Ah, you know, maybe, maybe there's next year. Colorado is like, this is a business trip. We're here. And I think that they got their swagger back and they're ready to, to push it. So yeah, I'm, I'm on board with you. If there's any team that can, that can, you know, salvage their season with, you know, with their, their face right on the mat, it's Colorado. So at least, it's, it's appointment viewing. I know that every elimination game in the NHL should be appointment viewing, but this one specifically, I think it'll live up to the hype. And I, I am crossing my fingers for the sake of the future of the league and the sport that it lives up to the hype. But yes, now let's talk about the very boring and yet very good Islanders. Seven and 17, I think teams uh, is the combined record for teams that have been facing elimination. So Avalanche are going to have to improve on that. Uh, if they're going to come back in this series and give us the dream Western final, because that's what we deserve, Mike. What we don't deserve is another game beyond the one that we're going to watch between the Islanders and Philadelphia. Uh, it is quite clear to me who the better team is, and that's the New York Islanders. And while I want to give them a lot of credit because they clearly are a team that is way better than they would you know, be advertised as and way better than they're going to give credit for even when they move on, if and when they move on past Philly. But this is more about Philly to me. They're the ones that are out of place. They're the ones that took three glorified exhibition games more serious than everybody else and earned a seed they don't deserve. They are simply not that good of a team. Full stop. Yeah. They, don't des- they sort of screwed up the entire bracket in, in the uh, Eastern 
playoffs, I guess, by just coming out stronger than everybody else and just having their ducks in an order, uh, in order uh, right off the bat. Because while, you know, we talked about how the Boston Bruins didn't really give Tampa a fight, you know, it would have been maybe different in the Eastern Conference Final when maybe, you know, the families of the, of the Boston Bruins are in Edmonton now and things are a little bit more normal for them. I don't know. But what I do know is that Philly doesn't belong as a top seed and they're getting exposed as a top seed right now because they're not a very good team and they're not better than the New York Islanders. No, it's, yeah, I think the Philadelphia Flyers, they, you know, they, they, they got in, for, okay, for example, I was, in, uh, I was in the gifted program in middle school. And I, oh. should, and I shouldn't have been there because I was gifted shouldn't in one. Shouldn't that nugget either. No, it's, 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 it's one. It, I was gifted in one thing and it was English and that was it. And I was, I was terrible at everything else. But you put, they put you in the, in the gifted stream for everything. And the entire time I was, in, I was in that in middle school, I felt I don't belong here. I kind of skated by here on, you know, I, I got lucky, you know. And I think that's what the Philadelphia Flyers are thinking right now. I think they got lucky. They were good at one thing and now it's as it goes on they have to do gifted math and they have to do gifted science and they're realizing oh maybe we're not as good in the, at, at this as it was you know breaking down writing just a normal essay so yeah they they look more outmatched i think in it, it just they look more unable to respond to their opponent the way their opponent plays than any other team left in the playoffs they are just they have no idea how to get through the the solemn brick wall that is the new york islanders they they're just you watch one of those games and it's like watching a, a boa constrictor just slowly strangle the life out of a, a mouse that it, it caught in the wild. Like it's just, there's nothing, there's nothing going on there. It's just an inevitable drawn out death. And like I said, I think that right now, a lot of, a lot of Philly is already mentally on vacation. Claude Giroux has one goal in his last, I think 25 playoff games. It's just, their stars aren't showing up. They're not getting the otherworldly goaltending from Carter Hart that they were getting before. And the Isles are just the most structured team left in the bubble. They play a boring, plotting um, kind of hockey that works, and they play it to perfection. And it's just Philly has no response to it. They don't know how to counter it, and at this point, it's probably going to end their season. If you're getting, as well, if you're giving up goals to, to Matt Martin and Leo Komarov, like who are not offensively inc inclined players, especially at this age of their, uh, stage of their career, Clearly, there's a, there's a collective buy-in from the, the Islanders' uh, point of view when it comes to systems. And clearly, there's something wrong on the Philadelphia Flyers side for letting, you know, d depth players come in and sway a series. So it's, it's, it's a, I don't think we expected fireworks in this series at all. I think this is the one where we're kind of like, yeah, you know, we're, we'll watch it. You know, if there's nothing else on, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And I'm, I'm, it's a shame that the Islanders are going this far just for the state of hockey. Is they, because if they win the Cup and the NHL is a copycat league, it will, it, we could get another dead puck era if GMs are like, well, we got to build a new Islanders team. Um, so it's, uh, it, it, it's just a shame all around. I don't like talking about the series. It makes me sad. Well, if you're in the gifted program, I, I assume that Barry Trotz could teach the gifted program on hockey, uh, just on hockey in general, hockey 101, because Barry Trotz is the master of all right yes. now in the NHL playoffs. Uh, he, is, he is the guy that has organized a structure that mediocre teams and and Philly might be a little bit better than mediocre, but are still incapable of breaking down. They are not talented enough to break down the design from Barry Trotz. And I am somewhat worried that Tampa doesn't have the ability to do that too. Don't say it, but man. then I think about it even more and I, and I don't want to go there because as, as much as it gives me a little bit of concern there, 
it also reeks of last season's playoffs mm-hmm. where Carolina, while not the same team, got to the Eastern Conference Final and just bowed out in four games really quick. Like, it is giving off those vibes for Tampa Bay, who could just be able to get through the next round with zero resistance at all because the teams that are fighting it out to get there are just not on the same level as Tampa Bay. But Islanders, man, they punched way above their weight just because of how – and you mentioned guys like Matt Martin and Leo Komarov scoring. It is just the product of doing things the right way over and over and over again. It's not like – they're not doing things repeatable over and over and over again. They're just getting little moments where something happens and gives them an opportunity and they take advantage of it. It's not Matt Martin, you know, turning into a sniper and creating his own chance. He just, you know, found a soft spot in the coverage on, on that goal and found a soft spot. And I think it was Brian Elliott who was in on the second night of a back-to-back. Like it's, it is not something that is repeatable for them. The only thing that's repeatable is shift over shift doing the same thing. And however they get, they build their margin which they tend to do against teams that are not better than average, they're going to end up getting the advantage. And they've so far feasted on three teams. Uh, Florida uh, in the second round was who? Who'd they be in the second round? Florida, Washington, Washington, and now Philadelphia. These teams just haven't been able to break down Barry Trotz. And right now a coach is basically the difference Mm -hmm. in, in leading a team from, you know, pretty much, mediocrity sort of in the middle you know seventh seed uh into the final four which i fully expect that they will punch their ticket into with philly uh having one foot out the door right now and what's really underrated in this too because it hasn't been talked about at all because people don't like talking about the islanders us included is this is their shot this is this is their window the islanders have a really sticky cap situation going into next season they have to re-sign matt barzell and they have like seven million dollars to re-sign you know barzell and i think bovillier and a lot of these other guys who are coming up so if any, like they weren't expected to make it this far, but they're almost in a Canucks situation where like, yeah, it's unexpected that they made it this far, but they should, they also like, they need to take advantage of this because this, this core or this, the way that they're constructed at this point might not be what, how they're constructed next year. It might not be the same kind of roster that's returning. So this might be their best shot to take advantage of it. And they clearly are right now. I mean, they're, they're the best coach team in the bubble and it, it rarely do we see Absolutely. And like you said, it wasn't Matt Martin turning into a sniper or Leo Komarov turning into, into a sniper. It was a product of the system. It just happened to be those two players who were in the position to score there. But yeah. if you have an entire roster of players who completely bought in and are part of this well-oiled machine, then, you know, it, you, that's exactly how you want to construct a team. So it's, it might be boring and plodding. And I, I might, you know, I might be actively sad whenever I watch their, their games because I go, is this the future of the sport? It's working for them and kudos to them. What happens, though, when they meet someone real? They're going to meet someone real if they get past Philly because Tampa Bay, despite maybe being without Kucherov and Stamkos, it doesn't matter. They are as well-oiled as the Islanders with legitimate talent. That can Washington sort of do. real. Uh, Washington's fading a little bit. Yeah, but they had, they had you know, Ovechkin, Backstrom, uh, Carlson might win the Norris this year. They added the, the de- Kovalchuk. The depth's, not, the depth's just not the same, though. That's like, true. It, when they lost Backstrom, uh, they had legitimately a third-line center I'd never heard of coming. Yes. So, yeah. like, it, it, it's just – that's the difference with Tampa. I mean, they obviously grew with getting a, a completely new third line with uh, surrounding Yanni Gord with Blake Coleman and Barclay Goodrow. Like, they've made – they've maximized their roster as much as possible. And what, t- what the Islanders are doing right now – are feasting on incomplete teams. In I, saw, I saw someone uh, tweet something. I can't remember who it is, or I give the shout out to them, where it's, it's uh, Blake Coleman is everything Casper Kapanen should have been. 
or should be. And I was like, that's the most. Uh, I was actually thinking that when I was yeah. driving over here today. I was, ex if Gasparri Kapanen should be Blake Coleman, yeah. but he wasn't. And it was, but they got a, a, a similar package to what uh, Tampa had to pay for Coleman, right? Didn't they have to there pay it first? So it's, it worked out, but man, it's, yeah, it all comes back to the Leafs. You want to you wanna talk about? Goudreau was a first. I Goudreau was a first. Was Coleman? I think he had, I think he was a first and a prospect. It was something, Tampa, Tampa had two first, first picks and they, like one from the, JT Miller trade and one. Right, right, right. Delton so, uh, you know, obviously that's, that's questionable at the time. Questionable if it doesn't work out. But right now, I believe that's the difference for Tampa Bay. Let's get into the Canucks yes. really quick because yeah. we don't have much time and they're going to play tonight. Uh, and we kind of know where this is going, right? Like Can yeah. the Canucks are, as much as it's been hard for teams to, to fight back when their backs are against the wall, Canucks backs haven't been against the wall yet. Uh, but they are clearly outmatched in this series yeah. from just, you know, from a talent perspective. But they play so hard and they don't give up and I am incredibly encouraged by you know where they're going I don't say we you know we went deep on what they have sort of facing them mm -hmm. but where this group is going how Travis Green has evolved in the coach as a coach how they've sort of uh, come together and really uh, became more than like the sum of their parts uh, has been just you know you know how that phrase goes I've completely butchered it but they, it's just really impressive what I've seen from the Canucks because they have they have brought this series far closer than it really should be because Vegas is clearly on another level, uh, but the Canucks are just putting up a valiant fight. Vegas is a remarkable team, and the fact that the Canucks were able to win even a game in this is is pretty val like like you said, it's valiant, it's remarkable. They are like to, to use a movie reference, like they are rocky in this in this point. Like yes, they, they they're not going to go the distance. So it's not a perfect analogy, but the fact that they've lasted in the ring for so long and kind of, and at least landed some, some blows, it's good for them. Like that, that should be, that should, that should leave management optimistic at the same time we've gone in, into their cap. Um, I, I wouldn't say calamity, but their, their cap issues that are, are moving forward. Um, but is it like if they get bounced in five and yet, and, and we have to take their entire context into account, the fact that they, they might not be able to run this back with, with this, exact unit they might be losing Markstrom in the offseason they might be losing a lot of these pieces is it ineffective or is it um not ineffective disappointment disappointing if they get bounced in five because that is I mean that's a hand that's a, that's a pretty pretty solid defeat right there uh and yes they weren't necessarily expected to be here but with the way that their 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 window is like is is going out in five in the second round really you know uh, I mean yeah for, for me, if you've watched the series, no, because it hasn't played out like that. Yeah, it's been pretty mm -hmm. clear what the, which team is best, but Vancouver has played way better than what a five-game series should be. It, 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 the only difference is that we're looking at potentially the Stanley Cup favorite, a team that certainly can win the Stanley Cup, and I would say is probably the favorite right now to win the Stanley Cup, mm -hmm. just the way they're running. Uh, I, I, I don't consider that a failure. Vancouver Canucks won two series. That's what I'm going to remember from this, this season for them. They got past the qualification round and then upset the Stanley Cup champions, defending Stanley Cup champions, uh, and ran into what is, I believe, a juggernaut. So I, I don't want to take anything from Vancouver. I've been, a, I've been seriously impressed by them since the moment they got into the bubble with what they've done, beating Minnesota, beating St. Louis, and giving a fight to, to Vegas, uh, who's just on another level. So I, I have nothing bad to say about Vancouver, and I'd like to see uh, them manage to survive because I just think it's the best hockey right now. Uh, in the most entertaining hockey.
Do you have anything quick to say? Because we didn't get to cover it um, in our podcast. Anything quick to say about the uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, Peter DeBoer, Alan Walsh uh, uh, picture that was out? Not, not really. I mean, I wrote about this. It, it, mm-hmm. Vegas is like how much they've matured in a three-year stretch is remarkable. It's incredible. Because they, yeah. went, they went from this like nice story and expansion team that did something incredible and they're all going to be local celebrities and open little juice juiceries on the strip and just be like these guys that are embedded with the culture of Mm -hmm. las vegas or the sporting culture and like the citizens of vegas not vegas strip vegas and they've now in the span of two and a half years or i guess more than three years because it's you know we're in september right now uh they've become this ultra serious entity where they have no time for legacy, for sentiment, for feelings, for agents, for anybody. They will step on your neck to get further and to make incremental improvements. And that's exactly what Vegas is doing by sitting flurry for Leonard. I don't know if it's an incremental improvement. I don't know the size of the improvement, improvement of Leonard over Flurry, but you watch Flurry, you know, gut out a game four victory over Vancouver. Yeah, he made some great saves. He also got beat on a few that yeah. Leonard, Leonard probably would have had. Honestly, he might have just had a couple of those by being the bigger guy. Mm-hmm. He's just the better option. Robin Leonard is the better goaltender right now. And despite, every, despite everything that Flurry means to that franchise, to, if you want to be serious about winning a Stanley Cup, you make the decisions that put you in a better position to win the Stanley Cup. And they did the same thing with Gallant. Now they're doing with Flurry. They are suddenly cutthroat. They grow up so fast, Mike. They do. They're, they, the Vegas are like a zombie in a movie that's ripping off limbs so it can run faster. Like it's, you know, like they, they will do that. It's, it's remarkable. And that's, they have that killer mentality. They're like, I don't care about your feelings. I love it, man. I don't care about, yeah. you know, I don't care about your agent. I don't care that, you know, you were the first, you know, t- the first guy that we, we drafted in the expansion draft or that, whatever, man. Like if Robin Leonard, who we got the, also Fleury isn't good. Like he, well, not that he's not good, but he had a terrible year this year. And he, and he was not yeah. good. Even, even though we got it out a win, he got beat a lot. And if you look at the, the actual end, like end box score, I think his save percentage is barely over nine. Like it's, yes, he has the W next to his name, but Robin Leonard is one of the best goalies in the league. He's going to get a lot of money this summer, er, this summer, this off season. He is, mm-hmm. if you, and you paid decent assets to get him at the deadline for this exact reason. So if your starter went down, you had an elite option to put in there and that's exactly what has happened here. So if, if it, yeah, like you, with, with Fleury, yes, I think there's a lot of sort of, um, lingering bad feelings because he's been in this exact situation before in Pittsburgh and they won a cup and he, and he won a cup, um, his second cup, I guess. Uh, yeah. His second cup before he got dealt and the Penguins went back to back um, where he got usurped by, by Matt Murray and he kind of road shot them to a cup. And I think it didn't mean as much to him as possible. And so he views this as his team and he kind of got the crease taken away from him, but he relinquished it. And if you want to win and you want to like, when you look back on this, when you, when Fleury goes in the hall of fame, inevitably, and it says, you know, three or four times Stanley Cup champion, Marc-Andre Fleury. No one's going to have an asterisk next to it being like, oh yeah, but he actually only played, you know, two games and those, no, he's going to be Stanley Cup champion no matter what. So yeah, cool. Alan Walsh loves to stand up for his players. Also, Fleury absolutely signed off on that picture. Like there's, let's, let's not kid ourselves here. He absolutely did. There was. Uh, I refuse to acknowledge that. Okay. Well, I. I'm I, an, I'm an unabashed Marc-Andre Fleury fan. Like I love watching. I. He is not only like a serial winner, been yeah. a part of great teams, uh, going to the Hall of Fame, as you mentioned. He's also a very entertaining goaltender to watch. Mm-hmm. 
he makes the game a little bit more fun. He does silly things sometimes. He's really athletic. He's a little de bit deficient in terms of size, and he makes up for that in other ways, which is his athleticism. And I love watching him play. But he's not better than Robin Leonard right now, and Vegas cannot afford to make a mistake with who they're putting in net. But I just want to – I'd like his record to be clean because I, I like Fleury. Also, Fleury, his, his um, vibrant yellow pads – are my favorite Amazing. pads ever. They're Amazing. my favorite pads ever. I want more people. I want more goalies to double down. Like his, and now his pure gold pads now, incredible. They need to be more expressive with their pads, but that's a whole totally different podcast. Um, yeah. The, it's, the only thing you can knock Robin Leonard on is his aesthetic. It's, it's not, it's not flurry caliber. Not no, in, not in the least. Not in the least. All right. News and notes. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, Okay, let's choose, cover... you, you, you lead off with the first one, but we might have to limit this one to three. Yes, and we I know. should probably get a little leaf talk at the end. So go. Yeah, so you, let's you just do one of them. Let's, we, we have to talk about the Coyotes. We have to. Okay. That is insane. That ball, when that news came out, so they, they illegally tested uh, draft eligible players. Um, they brought them in for fitness testing, which is illegal. I didn't even know that that was illegal, but it is. Um, and, they, and so I was reading 31 Thoughts this morning as any, you know, uh, self- uh, as any self-respecting hockey fan should. Um, there and, you go. Yes, there we go. I, I found it. Um, yep. Broadcasting. That's what's up. Anyway, no formal training. Let's go. Um, but the uh, but what Friedman was saying is that they were not expecting a harsh penalty. Their new owner, who you know is a dark defense against the dark arts teacher in Harry Potter, well, he he will be gone in another month. Like they just cycle through them like crazy. Or the president was not expecting this amount, this this harsh penalty, and yet they got slammed for this year's twenty twenty second rounder and next year's first rounder. So this year in the draft, during, a, during a, a, a year where their owners are in the casino business and they are hemorrhaging money right now and have to lay off a bunch of people. So it's not like they're cash flush right now. And in, a, in one of the deepest drafts in recent memory where you could get a bunch of good, cheap, young players who can be on entry-level contracts for the foreseeable future, they don't pick until the fourth round. And then next year, they also don't have a 2021 first and they don't have at 2021 third, and they might have to, if they end up re-signing Taylor Hall, they might have to surrender their 2021 second. So it, they are in probably the worst situation when it comes to on-ice success, financial, real-world financials, draft position, and hockey in terms of cap financials that of any team in the league right now. It, it, like, what are your thoughts on this? I don't even know where to begin. Where are your thoughts on this? It, it reminds me of that Joker meme from... I don't know which Batman movie it was, but I'm bringing a movie reference, baby, where he's, we walking out of the, he's walking out of the hospital and it's literally on fire yeah. and blowing up behind him. That's exactly what's going on. I mean, mm. John Chica literally left a mess, yeah. a, a unabashed disaster. Like it's, it's a complete gong show over there. And it's, it's mostly his doing. Like, I, I guess he signed off on having players work out in private settings, uh, which is obviously legal. And he's also built a pretty bad team. Like, mm -hmm. uh, maybe not ba a bad team. It was a playoff team, obviously, this year. They won a qualification round. But it's just a mediocre team. It's a, it's a team that leans so heavily on superstar goaltending. And that's the most interesting here thing here because they have a real asset. So if they're going to blow this thing up, and they've already talked about it, or there's already been some rumblings about Darcy Kemper hitting the open market. If Darcy Kemper is suddenly being dangled this off season, I mean, there better be a rat race for this guy because yes. he, sh he was probably the best goaltender in the playoffs while he was still, while the coyotes were still there. He's cheap. And he's a guy who can just deliver quietly mm -hmm. at that position. So I, for one support a teardown because the league is better 
when some teams can hide money with other teams yeah. and when teams with good assets are willing to give up those assets. So I'd love to see them try and recoup those picks and, and you know, make sure that they don't suffer from this, uh, from their, or their, their future doesn't suffer from the decisions that they made by trying to work out players and that they sell off and let some, uh, you know, let guys like OEL and Kemper spread their wings and fly elsewhere. That'd be uh, an entertaining uh, development, I'd say, for the offseason because there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. But if there's a fire sale in Arizona, which legitimately has good parts, and they're the ones that have not the rights to Taylor Hall, but right now they have Taylor Hall under their label, it would make for a more exciting offseason. And I'm not going to be sad if the Coyotes take a step back. That's just me being honest. They could. They also have an interim GM. And I think that – and Friedman reported that they want to have, like, a full-time GM in place by the draft. So we might not even know which direction that they, they turn in, until then because why would you let interim guy, you know, kind of make these big decisions? Um, but you, I'm glad that you, you put that last point because they do have attractive pieces. If they want to sell them off, they could. They could and they, they, they absolutely could for decent prices. Jalmerson is, lo- is beloved around the league, and, yes, he's old, but he's a great, Still you know – defensive defender he, he's kind of exact he's he's a you know a, a remnant from a, from an old era of defense but he mm-hmm. you know he's exactly what a, what you want in playoff hockey um and they have like i love jason demers you know they're all these guys they're i think i think they have a lot of really good pieces that they wanted to they can sell and at this point it would all it would also it would hurt the franchise if they re-signed taylor hall because a just commit to the rebuild you are in a terrible position you need to not only cut costs, but just, you just need to reboot. Like you, like you just had a messy divorce with, with your GM who didn't really give you anything in the first place. You need to go out and you need to get bangs. You need to work on yourself after this breakup. You need to, you know, really do some soul searching, eat, pray, love, go tour Italy for a little bit, rebuild, and then event, and then come back. Um, and if they sign Taylor Hall, not only will they be like, you know, locking down a guy in his, you know, approaching thirties, during a time when they should be tearing it down, but they would also then surrender a second round pick. So it just doesn't make sense. If, if they re-sign Taylor Hall, I think that would all, like, I'm sure it would be a boon for them internally. Cause it's like, yay, we, we got someone to stay. That's great. But at this point it would do more harm than good, I think. Um, but yeah. And so I guess then we transition into, into the Leafs news when it comes to depressing notes. Uh, I well, I will just mention oh, because we have Dale. Ta- we have in our news and notes section, which we are condensing. We have Dale Talon being investigated for racially charged comments and the Florida Panthers GM search. Mm-hmm. I can do this succinctly. Dale yeah. Talon doesn't belong in hockey anymore, nope. not just because he's a racist, apparently or allegedly, but because he's not good at his job, and so he doesn't doesn't belong anymore. Just you know, run away, run yeah. off, and then hey. Who should the Florida Panthers hire? How about giving Kevin Weeks a, uh, a chance? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, this whole thing comes full circle while, you know, the, the Hockey Diversity Alliance is rightly going after Dale Talon. Well, they, what are they fighting for? Hockey Diversity Alliance wants to see more uh, representation from black people in the black community in hockey. That would be a perfect opportunity. And a guy like Kevin Weeks, who's been around this game, deserves that opportunity. So how about we just leave it at that? Yeah, absolutely. I just want to, I, I just want to get my shot on Dale Talon and that he is, he is the, he is the hockey man personified and that he has done nothing but media be mediocre, but is hailed as a genius and is completely outdated and where, and where hockey is going. And it was reported that he was getting considered for consulting jobs in, uh, in different franchises until this came out, whoever those franchises are, I sincerely hope that, um, that you take a look in the mirror and realize that this guy will not bring anything, but, um, 
just mediocrity to your to your franchise. And at the same time, yes, it would be amazing if Kevin Weeks w- was was installed there. I think he's earned it. I think he's one of the most brilliant analysts out there. He clearly has a lot of connections. He's a uh, you know he, he it would be it would be incredible. I think he'd be the first. Um, I think he'd be the first uh, person of color in, in a general manager's position for and which would be amazing. Um, especially coming off the heels of this wouldn't just be a, like a token hire. This would, this would be, he's a hundred percent on his merits. Um, and, but from a, a, a entertainment standpoint, I think he's among the front runners here too. Peter Shirelli would be hilarious because it would just mean that Florida is not going to be good for the next little bit. Um, and also every other team would go, who's Florida's best young player. Okay. They're going to trade him. So let's go for him. Um, but yes, anyway, I think I love the Kevin Weeks idea. I, I am now fully on board and rooting for that. That'd be awesome. Uh, you mentioned 31 Thoughts a few times already. Uh, in 31 Thoughts, the Leafs, uh, or Elliot Friedman had the Leafs potentially uh, not shopping, I guess, Frederick Anderson to Carolina, but at least a connection between the two franchises over the Leafs starting netminder. Uh, this worries me. This, I am I'm, I'm more of a really? Freddie Anderson backer than you are. Oh my goodness. But I cannot see these two teams, a trade between these two teams, working out positively for the Maple Leafs if you're taking back Petter Morazic or James Reimer. I'm sorry, but if you're a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, your tandem is not Jack Campbell and either Petter Morazic or James Reimer. You're just going to have the same problems that Carolina's had, which is goaltending that is basically sabotaged this this past uh, postseason run, certainly, and maybe the one before that as well. I don't know exactly how their goaltenders fared there, but in my money, Frederick Anderson's the best goaltender that's going to be involved in those transactions. And while it might open up flexibility elsewhere, I do not want to tie a tether myself to either Morazic or Reimer with Campbell moving forward. So I'm concerned as someone who uh, has the Leafs interest in mind that this is a trade or a trade possibility uh, for the franchise. Give me your thoughts on it. Well, I think that, is it, is it a necessity that the Leafs have to take a goalie back in this? Like, probably. No, I, I, don't, I, I assume so. I mean, mm-hmm. they're going to have to get rid of one of those goalies, and that's what, just what worries me. If it's for the 13th overall pick, sure, let's go out and get Robin Leonard, use yes. that 13th overall pick to get something else, and then spend that 15th overall pick at the draft or vice versa, and then we're really cooking here. We got something that we can really improve this team, perhaps. Um, but getting rid of Frederick Anderson and bringing goaltender back in return, that's setting off red flags for me. I'm a little concerned about that. Because we're talking about 31 thoughts again. I think it's a fourth or fifth name drop here on the podcast. Um, it, it linked that Toronto is really interested in Leonard. I think that they view him as their, as their solution. They want him. And so if you can, if you can get one of, uh, or, or a couple of the defenders on Carolina, potentially like maybe not like a big name, but you know, even if you can find a way that to use Frederick Anderson to pry Dougie Hamilton to Toronto or, you know, to, you know, someone, Jacob Slavin, someone like that, Brett Pesci, someone. Um, Hell, I'll and, take my chances with Morazic and Campbell if you're getting Dougie Hamilton back. Exactly. But also, like, you need to get a goalie back because Anderson is the perfect, especially for Carolina, but I also wrote about this um, last week, is that he is the perfect goaltender for Calgary. Like, they, that should be – they should be – Calgary should be going so hard on them because, A, let's, like, just let Cam, uh, Talbot walk. But then you have David Riddich, who's, who's got one year left, and let's say they don't want to give up on him then, okay, Anderson has got one year left on his deal. He's going to be motivated and he's approaching 30. And Calgary, if they want to run it back, if they want to be like, okay, I think we're a goaltender away from really being elite here. You have a motivated, in his prime, cost, you know, like pretty cheap when it comes to a a top, maybe a a fringe top 10 starter in Anderson. And if you want to give up some assets, 
go for it. But he, he'd be the perfect, he's the perfect goalie for teams who need to get goaltending to go over the hump, but don't want to commit to a guy who's going over 30. You get one good motivated prime season of Frederick Anderson. That could be the difference between a cup or not for the, for these, you know, stacked teams who have just been plagued by their, their situation in the, in the crease. So I, I think, I think Anderson's a, a, an attractive trade chip to a lot of these teams. And if you don't have to take a goalie back to Carolina and you can get one of those big name defensemen and maybe, you know, a, a combination of draft picks or players going each way or whatever, I think you pull the trigger hard on that. I think Carolina, you know, the Leafs have always been linked to them with their glut of, of um, defensemen. And if you can, if you can pry one of those out there and also be able to read yourself Anderson, because I think it's time for him to go. I don't, I don't think I, I'm going to write about it. It might come out today, actually. Um, I, I think it's just kind of time for him to go in Toronto. He's kind of personified the good, but not good enough um, mentality of the Leafs. If you can maximize that, just like they kind of did with, with Casper Kapanen, you're, you're sitting pretty. As much as I do want to see Campbell and Freddie, uh, you know, in a proper tandem for an entire year, I, I do, I'm starting to think more and more that how they handle Frederick Anderson this offseason will be the key move and decides their future and their success in the next few seasons. Absolutely. Because if they play it correctly, they can get back a lot to help the team in the immediate term and the long term. And they can probably go get a goaltender who can do it for a cheaper rate and potentially better, probably better in the off season with Darcy Kemper out there, Robin Leonard out there, Jacob Markstrom out there. Marc-Andre Fleury is not an upgrade, but there are guys out there. And if they join that race for a goaltender this off season and find a trading partner for Frederick Anderson, they can find, they can sort of, they can improve that position while improving their team at a significant clip. Mm -hmm. So how they handle Frederick Anderson uh, is probably the key thing this offseason. As much as the Casperi cabinet trade was huge, as much as there's probably moves to come, because one of the moves has to involve bringing back a defenseman. But if they handle Frederick Anderson correctly over the next few months, it could be the difference between a championship-level team and a, a team that just remains really good and underachieves. Yeah, no, I, I, you're 100% right. Uh, they did hire a video coach today. Yes. Uh, I don't think we know too much about. I know one Sam thing about Kim, him, but I'll let I'll leave uh, you to sign us off on this podcast with that nugget, with the brief history of Sam Kim, who is now going to be running video for Sheldon Keith in the Maple Leaf stuff. Uh, so there is there's a great piece on um on Sam Kim, who's the new uh, who's the new video and coaching coordinator, uh, and it's on the Athletics by Daniel Nugent Bowman, great writer. Um, and it, it happens to mention a little nugget that Sam Kim's first paying job in hockey was as the New York Islanders mascot, Sparky, from between 2008 and 2011. So if we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, guys, unorthodox moves by, by Kyle Dubas, you know, it's, it's getting the former Islanders mascot in, into the organization. Um, he, look, he, he, He's, he comes very highly um, regarded. He was with uh, Bakersfield, which is Edmonton's uh, minor league team or, or AHL team for the past two seasons. Um, and he's 34. He's a young guy. They're filling out these positions with young, ambitious guys. And clearly, he's, he was able to work his way up in hockey from, um, a, a, from when he started out, a temp um, mascot fill-in who only got the full-time job after the, the main guy uh, resigned. Um, and I'm sure there was some you know, mascot drama behind that. But he was able to work his way up, and he's now he's now the video and coaching coordinator of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, you know, ten years later, that's that's pretty remarkable. So we don't know too much about him, but he is he's joined the Leafs, and they're doing some other internal shuffling because they they renewed the contract of Jordan Bean, who was their uh, I think their main video coach last year, and he's now a statistical ana analyst and also video coach as well. 
there's some behind the scenes moves. Could this be laying the foundation for a new assistant coach coming in, potentially a Bruce Brujo? I don't know. We'll have to see. But for now, at least if, if uh, Carlton goes down, uh, we know who can, who can step up in his place. Beautifully tied in. No formal trading. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. Uh, but mascot drama aside and, you know, you know, coaches filling in and Boudreaux speculation aside, yeah. the Leafs have put down another piece of the puzzle and there are a lot of pieces to come. And I say it every time that we're going to have lots of Leaf news to discuss in the offseason. But for now, we will continue on with the Stanley Cup playoffs and we're almost there in round three. The entire bus is heading to Edmonton soon because we're going to be down to four teams in this unprecedented hockey summer. Until next time, uh, you know, we'll have more to talk about in terms of the NHL. Sign us off. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.